ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're starting the new chapter today then. Who wants to read? So this chapter then, the title of it is the actual ayah, Babu Qawlillahi Ta'ala, Hatta Iza Fuzzi'an Qulubihim, Qalu Mada Qala Rabbukum, Qalu Al-Haq, Wahuwa Al-Aliyu Al-Kabir. We'll come to the ayah in a moment. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentions, at the beginning of this chapter, Muradu Shaykh Rahimahullah Bihada al Bab and Yubayina Tafsira Hadihi al Ayah Kamajaat Bivalika Sunnatu Anin Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Fainna Hadihi al Ayah Fasarat has Sunnatu Bil Ahadith 
التي ذكرها الشيخ في هذا الباب والغرض من ذلك إتمام ما سبق في الأبواب السابقة من بيان أدلة بطلان الشرك He says the point of the sheikh in this chapter is to give us an explanation of the ayah just as it has been mentioned in the sunnah. This particular ayah regarding the angels and the revelation that occurs when Allah speaks, there are a hadith in the sunnah that clarify this ayah. And as we've mentioned before previously, in order to find the tafsir of an ayah in the Qur'an, the primary method is to see if you can find other ayat in the Qur'an that give you the tafsir of the one you're looking at. But if that is not possible, then in that case, you look at the sunnah to see if there are narrations from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ clarifying a particular ayah and that's what we have here. So the sunnah is going to explain this ayah regarding when Allah speaks with the revelation and that fear falls into the angels and they fall unconscious and then they regain that or they, the fear is removed from their hearts. And the point of it is, the previous chapter was nullifying the worship of who? The previous chapter was nullifying the worship of being directed to the Prophet ﷺ. The examples being given were talking about the incorrect worship that people direct to the Prophet ﷺ. And that's why in the hadith that had been quoted, the Prophet ﷺ was mentioning to his own family members, blood family members, that I cannot save you. So it was to highlight to all of those who make their connection to the Messenger, and call upon him and supplicate to him and make dua to him, that the messenger is not the one to be called upon, he is not the one to supplicate to, he is not the one to worship. And now in this chapter, it is going to talk about another aspect that is impermissible for the people to worship and direct their worship toward, and that is in this chapter the angels because the scholars they say if you can clarify to the people with evidences the impermissibility of calling upon the prophets and the angels then all others besides them also become impermissible to call upon them why because the highest of all of the levels are the prophets and the messengers and the angels. These are from the highest of the levels. 
And so if it is impermissible, despite their status, the prophets and the messengers, and the status of the angels in the heavens, despite their status, if it is impermissible to make dua and call upon the prophets and messengers, and it is impermissible to make dua and call upon the angels, then without a shadow of a doubt, it is impermissible to call upon any others who are lower in status than the prophets and messengers and the angels. That is clear and logical. Anyone lower in status than them cannot possibly be deserving of your worship or you calling upon them. If the ones higher in status to them are not deserving of that, then certainly the ones lower in status are not deserving of that. And that's why the scholars always give the examples with the prophets, the messengers, and the angels. Because showing the evidences for them and the impermissibility of calling upon them therefore closes the door to all others besides them and lower than them. So this chapter is going to close the door for the mushrikun worshipping or calling upon or supplicating to the angels. فَفِي هَذَا الْبَابِ يُبَيِّنُ بُطْلَانِ عِبَادَةِ الْمَلَائِكَةِ He highlights the impermissibility of worshipping the angels. لِأَنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةِ because the angels, they were and are worshipped besides Allah. فَهَذَا الْبَابِ مُكَمِّلٌ لِلْأَبْوَابِ السَّابِقَةِ الَّتِي قَبْلَهُ So this chapter, it is a type of conclusion and completion for the chapters that came before it. It carries on and completes the same theme that it's impermissible to call upon the prophets and messengers, the Prophet ﷺ himself, and it is impermissible to call upon the angels, and therefore it is impermissible to call upon the awliya, wasalihin, the righteous, the awliya as they claim them to be, even if they are in reality, the impermissibility of calling upon them all. So the ayah is mentioned as the title of the chapter, and that's the reason why. To highlight the impermissibility of worshipping the angels, to go along with the impermissibility of worshipping the Prophet in the previous chapter. Because remember, for those who are studying it properly, with the uh, uh, texts and the notes, etc., and you want to remember all of the points, one of the key points in Kitab al-Tawheed, in the curriculum, they used to make a point of it, is that you understand the chapter title. Of course, you have to understand the chapter itself, but to understand the chapter title. Why has the Shaykh selected that ayah as a chapter title? Why has he selected that hadith as a chapter title? What is the connection between that ayah and the chapter? Those were the, uh, that was one of the key components 
of understanding, one of the objectives in understanding the book. And in the exam, they would ask you that this particular chapter, the title was X, Y, and Z. Why did the Sheikh, a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, put the title chapter as that chapter, as that title? Why did he make the chapter with that title? What is the connection? So here the connection is about the angels and the impermissibility of worshipping the angels. So the hadith, it's going to clarify it. The hadith of Abu Hurairah, where the Prophet said, إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ الْأَمْرَ فِي السَّمَاءِ غَرَبَتِ الْمَلَائِكَةُ بِأَجْنِحَتِهَا خُضَعَانًا لِقَوْلِهِ كَأَنَّهُ سِلْسِلَةٌ عَلَى صَفْوَانٍ يَنْفُضُهُمْ ذَلِكَ حَتَّى إِذَا فُزِّعَ عَنْ قُلُوبِهِمْ قَالُوا مَاذَا قَالَ رَبُّكُمْ قَالُوا الْحَقِّ وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْكَبِيرُ فَيَسْمَعُهَا مُسْتَرِقُ السَّمْعِ وَمُسْتَرِقُ السَّمْعِ هَكَذَا بَعْضُهُ فَوْقَ بَعْضٍ وَصَفَهُ سُفْيَانَ بِكَفِّهِ فَحَرَّفَهَا وَبَدَّدَ بَيْنَ أَصَابِعِهِ so in the hadith it mentions that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees an affair, إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ الْأَمْرَ فِي السَّمَاءِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees an affair, مَعْنَاهُ إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ بِالْوَحِي Meaning when Allah speaks with the revelation, إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ الْأَمْرَ فِي السَّمَاءِ أي إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ بِالْوَحِي when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with the revelation, just like it is mentioned in some of the ahadith regarding Allah speaking the revelation. This therefore straight away affirms the aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah regarding the attribute of speech that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. فَفِي ذَلِكَ إِثْبَاتُ الْكَلَامِ لِلَّهِ Subhanahu wa ta'ala وَأَنَّهُ كَلَامٌ يُسْمَعْ And that Allah when He speaks His speech is heard It is heard تَسْمَعُهُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ The angels they hear Allah when He speaks with the revelation وَإِذَا سَمِعُوهُ سَعِقُوا وَخَرُوا and when they hear Allah speak with the revelation, they fall. They fall. And that fear, it comes into their hearts. They fall in prostration. When they hear Allah speak with the revelation, they fall to the ground in prostration. In, in respect and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to indicate the magnificence of Allah. Also, the fact that it says in the hadith, إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ الْأَمْرَ فِي السَّمَاءِ That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees an affair or speaks with the revelation in the heavens, above the heavens, Indicating again the attribute of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are many evidences for that. 
regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the most high, that Allah is above all of the creation, ba'inun an khalqih, that Allah is above the creation and separate from His creation. Not like Ahlul Bid'ah who claim wahdatul wujud, that all of this creation, it is amalgamated into one. The creator, the creation, it is all mixed as one entity. Rather, Allah is above all of the heavens, above all of the creation. Ba'inun, as it mentions in the books of Aqidah, separate and distinct from His creation, not mixed in with the creation. And there are many examples, many ayat. Am amintum man fis sama'. Clear ayah as an example. Man fis sama'. That Allah is above the heavens. Walladhi fis sama'. Huwa Allah. Ay al-ulu. Wa huwa al-ali. Al-a'la. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most high. The most high. As you know, you have the heavens... The seven heavens, distances of 500 years between each heaven. Then above all of those heavens, there is the footstool of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is the water. And then above everything is the, all the rest of the creation is the throne of Allah. Then above all of that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The throne of Allah is like a ceiling upon all of the creation. Then above that, above all of the creation is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ That he is the omnipotent over his servants. اِسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ That Allah rose above the throne. And the Arsh, the throne of Allah, is the highest of everything in creation, from the creations. And Allah is above that. And the famous hadith, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِلْجَارِيَةِ Allah قَالَتْ فِي السَّمَاءِ When the slave girl was asked, where is Allah? She said, فِي السَّمَاءِ and remember with the huruf al-jar in Arabic, one of the principles with them is that they are interchangeable. They are interchangeable and their meanings can be accommodated one within the other in some of their examples. And one of the examples where that can occur is with the fi and the ala. So fissama does not mean Allah is in within the heavens Fissama means Allah is above the heavens. So when she said that in the hadith, uh, they were told, أَعْتِقْهَا فَإِنَّهَا مُؤْمِنَةً Release her for indeed, or free her, for indeed she is a believer. And uh, Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions that some of the scholars have written books exactly on that topic. Regarding Allah being above, he gives the example of Al-Imam Al-Zahabi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, where he has the book Al-Ulu Lil-Ali Al-Ghaffar, the book regarding the highness that Allah is above all of his creation. 
saqa fihi al-adillata ala uluwi Allahi ala arshih in that book al-imam al-dhahabi mentions the evidences that Allah is above the throne and there are many qala al-ulama the scholars they said inna adillata uluwi Allahi ala arshihi تبلغ ألف دليل أو أكثر من الوحي. The scholars they said that the evidences that Allah is above His throne are approximately they get up to a thousand evidences or even more than that from the revelation. How do the scholars know that there are a thousand different evidences? proving or mentioning or indicating that Allah is above the throne. A thousand is a number. So in order to get to a number, you have to count. So the scholars, what do they do? They count. They know the Quran inside and out. They know the ahadith. Thousands and thousands memorized in their chains of narrations. So they compile. It's like the names and attributes of Allah. In the hadith about Allah having 99 names, whoever counts them, memorizes them, acts upon them, will enter paradise. إِنَّ لِلَّهِ تِسْعَةً وَتِسْعِينِ اسْمَعَ some of the scholars, they met, well, all of the scholars have mentioned from Ahlul Sunnah, this does not mean that Allah only has 99 names, but that if you memorize and act upon 99 of them, then you have the promise of paradise. And one of the evidences some of the scholars used, and there are many to prove it, that Allah has more than 99 names, but one of the evidences some of the scholars used was the fact that they actually counted more than 99 in the Quran and the Sunnah. When you look in the books of Aqidah, some of them they got to they got up to 130 odd from the names of Allah found within the Quran and the Sunnah. I think one of them 137 he found. And some of the scholars they searched and they came to 120 odd. Some of them 110 odd, but there were multiple scholars. In, in the past, when you look in the books of Aqidah, they found already available to us and known to us already more than 99 names. And that is because of their knowledge of the texts. That's because of their knowledge of the Qur'an and what is in the Qur'an and the chapters and the ayat and their knowledge of the ahadith and all the different narrations and they can remember which narrations had evidences of names and attributes, evidences of Allah being the Most High. And it's not the obvious ones either. It's not like this obvious one. The girl was asked, where is Allah? She said, oh, that's an obvious evidence. But then there are other evidences where you read the hadith and you would not even think that this hadith is an evidence that Allah is above. And yet when you examine it and what the scholars they said about it, and how they derived the ruling from it, then you think it is amazing. This is an evidence that Allah is above too. Many examples, they would quote. So that is what the Shaykh says. The scholars, they have already from their analysis and their understanding 
of the Quran and the Sunnah found a thousand evidences or more indicating that Allah is above the throne. That's mentioned by Ibn Qayyim and others. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with the revelation, it is mentioned, ضَرَبَتِ الْمَلَائِكَةُ بِأَجْنِحَتِهَا خُضَعَانًا That the angels, they strike their wings in submission and humility to the statement of Allah. And the angels, remember the angels, one of the creations of Allah. As the humans are a creation of Allah, the jinn are a creation of Allah, the angels are an alam, a creation, a world from amongst the worlds. And the world of the angels or the creation of the angels, they are from the greatest in, in size and the way that they've been created in their magnificence, they are from the greatest. Of the creations. لا يعلم عظم خلقة الملائكة إلا الله. Nobody knows the the actual size and how huge and big some of these angels are. Nobody knows that the Sheikh says how the angels have been created and the size of them, other other than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. وإذا كانوا على هذه الحالة من العظم ومع هذا لا تصلح عبادتهم من دون الله فهم مع قوتهم وعظم خلقتهم يخافون من الله عز وجل إذا سمعوا كلامه ضربوا بأجنحتهم The angels despite their size and power that they've been created upon that they could move mountains, it's mentioned in the surah, in the seerah. The size and the power they've been created upon. In one example, it mentions from the Hamalatul Arsh, the angels that carry the throne of Allah, that if a bird was to fly from the earlobe to the shoulder of the angel, it would take 700 years. There are narrations of that nature, of hundreds of years. For a bird to fly from the earlobe to the shoulder of the angel. Years and years for a bird to fly that distance. So what is the size and the magnitude of this creation of Allah? And as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, Despite the powerful and mighty level of the creation of the angels, they are still not allowed to be Worshipped and called upon despite their strength and their magnitude in their creation, they still fear their creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they hear Allah speak with the revelation, they strike their wings in submission before Allah. And another point of benefit, this also indicates, affirms that the angels have been created with wings. But how many wings do the angels have? How many wings are angels created with? 
Anyone? So, it is not a fixed number. It mentions in the Quran regarding their creation with the wings and the fact that some of them may have less, some of them may have more. Jibreel alayhi salam, it's mentioned he had 600 wings that covered the whole of the horizon. So there are different numbers of the wings that the angels may have. And the angels, they have the ability to take on the appearance, different appearances. So when Jibreel alayhi salam used to come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he used to come in the appearance of a human, the appearance of a man. And the messenger only saw Jibreel alayhi salam upon his actual appearance twice. So the angels, they are a, a magnificent creation of Allah. And one of the things that people uh, are often confused by when you talk about the angels, especially the way people have interpreted it, and the non-Muslims especially, how they have interpreted it, that angels, and as the Mushrikun used to say, the angels are the daughters of Allah, that they are female, and that is incorrect. And it is not correct to say that the angels are females. As Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, they asked him once, they asked him that we work in a hospital, and in this hospital, the nurses, the female nurses, when they do a good job, the patients may say to them, you're such an angel. This was the question that they posed to a Sheikh bin Baz, along the lines of that nurses in the hospitals, they end up getting called angels. You're such an angel. Is this okay? What do you say about that? A Sheikh bin Baz told them, no, you cannot say this. The angels are not females such that you make them into women and you say to a woman, you're such an angel. So that is a phrase that Sheikh bin Baz said, no, do not say that. Do not say that the angels are females and attribute their title to the women and to females. So that is generally about the angels. But the point is that despite their size and magnitude Allah created them upon, they are in fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they submit to him and in humility they beat their wings, they strike their wings out of fear when they hear Allah speak with the revelation. So if that is the situation with regards to the angels, and we've already seen the situation with regards to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam himself, we've seen examples from ayat and evidences about Isa salam. These great prophets and messengers and angels, all of them, despite their status, their stature, their actual physical strength and might they've been created on the angels, none of them are allowed to be worshipped, none of them are allowed for you to call upon to make your dua to. 
So within this, there's a proof for the invalid action of the mushrikun in calling upon them. <coughs> so in the hadith, when it says that the angels lower their wings to his statement, meaning to the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he speaks, and when they do that, when they strike their wings, it is like the sound of a chain upon a smooth rock. What do they say in your English? Chain upon a smooth rock. Silsila ala safwan. Tashbih li sawtil wahi alladhi yati ila al-malak. That is a resemblance being made of how they hear the sound of the revelation. The sound of the revelation they hear when they hear Allah speaking. It is like the example being given of a chain going across a smooth surfaced rock. Or it could mean sawtul malak, nafsih. بصوت السلسلة إذا جرت على حجر أملس Or it could mean that the example of the chain upon the smooth rock The sound it would make Is like the sound that the angels make with their wings When they hear the revelation Both of those are possible the Sheikh mentions And when they hear Allah speak then that penetrates into their hearts. That's what it mentions. It penetrates into their hearts. And so they fear. They fear their Lord. They fear Allah. And they are in humility and submission before Allah. And they fall into prostration. And they strike their wings in humility before Allah. And then the ayah mentions had. That after all of that and the fear which has struck into them and the speech of Allah that has penetrated into them, then after all of that they've fallen into prostration, etc. After a while, then when they finally, when the fear calms and they are, they find calmness again after that initial hearing of the. Revelation from Allah, hatta idha an that when they then find some calmness, then they say, "Alu mada qala rabbukum." They say, "What did your Lord say?" They say to each other, "What did your Lord say?" "Alu mada qala rabbukum." Ay qala baghum li baghum. Allahu alhaq. And so they say to each other, and in the version it says, Jibril says to them. They say that Allah spoke the truth. When they are saying, what did your Lord say? Then they say, Allah spoke the truth. And He is the Most High, Al-Kabir, the greatest. And it mentions, when that happens, when Allah speaks with some revelation like that, يَسْمَعُهَا مُسْتَرِقُ السَّمَعُ that the, the, in reference to the jinn who are eavesdropping, the jinn who are eavesdropping, 
trying to see if they can hear some information of revelation, whether they can hear something from the heavens, those shayateen of the jinn who are eavesdropping to try and steal some of that information of the revelation, they hear, they hear, المستارق الذي يأخذ شيء بسرعة وخفية ومنه سمي سارق نعم. So the Sheikh says the مستارق are the ones who are eavesdropping to try and steal some information uh, in a covert manner without uh, being spotted or known. They attempt to steal some of that information in a manner where they are not caught, not seen. That is the shayateen of the jinn. And it mentions how they do that. وَمُسْتَرِقُ السَّمَعْ هَكَذَا بَعْضُهُ فَوْقَ بَعْضُ That they climb on top of one another. مَعَنَاهُ أَنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ يَعْلُوا بَعْضُهَا بَعْضًا They climb on top of each other. They climb on top of each other until they reach the heavens. حَتَّى تَصِلَ إِلَىٰ عَنَانَ السَّمَاءِ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ يَرْكَبْ عَلَىٰ الْآخَرِ مِنْ أَجْلِ اسْتِرَاقَ السَّمَاءِ So they climb on top of one another in order to reach the heavens to steal some of that, what they hear from the revelation. <coughs> and it's mentioned how Sufyan ibn Uyayna, one of the senior scholars of hadith at the time, famous from the Salaf, he described to them, showed them physically with his hand, how the shayateen of the jinn, they climb one on top of the other. يعني وصف تراكمهم ووصف ركوب بعضهم فوق بعض في الجو. He explained to them physically, showed them how they climb on top of each other, and they get higher and higher into the heavens. بِكَفِّهِ فَحَرَّفَهَا يعني أمالها وفرق أصابعها والأصابع يكون بعضها فوق بعض هذا معناه أن سفيان أراد أن يوضح لتلاميذه والرواه عنه بالمثال المحسوس المشاهد عملية أو عملية الشياطين في الهواء So it's mentioned how Sufyan ibn Uyayna with his palm split his fingers to indicate how one of them goes on top of the next one and they are going on top of each other climbing up to the heavens or up into the sky. So Sufyan ibn Uyayna did that to give them a physical illustration of the point of the shayateen climbing on top of each other's backs to reach the heavens to steal some information. And this is from the methods of teaching. And again they say this is from the methods that are prophetic in teaching, using physical illustration and example to highlight the point. And the Shaykh gives an example here, a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, the example of the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ was highlighting to them the straight path and the ayah in the Qur'an, 
وأن هذا صراطي مستقيما فاتبعوه That indeed this is my straight path so follow it In that hadith regarding the ayah it's mentioned how the companion says khatta lana rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam khattan mustaqiman wa qala hadha sabilullah he mentions that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam drew a straight line in the sand and said to them this is the path of allah thumma khatta an yaminihi khututa وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ خُطُوطًا Then he drew lines to the right and some lines to the left. وَقَالْ عَلَى كُلِّ سَبِيلٍ مِنْهَا شَيْطَانٌ يَدْعُوا إِلَيْهِ And he told them upon all of these paths, there is a shaytan calling you to it. So he physically drew that in the sand so they could see and understand with illustration how this occurs. And there are examples with wudu, how the companions, Umar ibn Khattab, told them to bring a bucket of water so he could show them physically how the wudu is done. And there are many examples of that, where physical illustration, physical examples were used to highlight something. In the hadith about the Day of Judgment, the Prophet ﷺ said, بُعِثْتُ أَنَا وَالسَّاعَةِ I have been sent, the Prophet said, I have been sent, and the hour is going to be established, the time period between me now being alive as a messenger, having been sent, and to when the day of judgment is going to occur, is like these two. And he pointed with his index finger and middle finger. Some scholars say he pointed with a small gap to show them, that's all there is from me now to the uh, me the messenger now to the day of judgment the gap is just that the gap between your middle finger and your index finger and some scholars say he put them together to show them the gap is just that how much longer your middle finger is compared to your index finger physical examples and illustrations so that's the point here that the author Sufyan ibn Hiyana gave a physical example an illustration on how they climb on top of each other's backs. And then, فَيَسْمَعُ الْكَلِمَةِ That those shayateen of the jinn, the ones at the top, the one at the top, he then hears something from the heavens. He then hears some speech. فَيُلْقِيهَا إِلَى مَنْ تَحْتَهُ He hears from the angels, because after the angels... They hear that revelation from Allah, then they are talking to one another. What did your Lord say? Your Lord spoke the truth. And they are mentioning some of the affairs of that revelation. And so the shayateen of the jinn hear it from them. And so the top one passes it on to the one below him. This is what I heard. Then he passes it on to the one below him. This is what we heard. And they continue passing it down. Until right at the bottom, the shayateen, they receive that information. One after the next, until it comes to the bottom. And they receive that information passed on in that chain, climbed up. And then the bottom ones, that bottom one, he then takes it to the 
the magicians and sorcerers and fortune tellers takes it to them so then they keep passing it on to the one below until right at the bottom the last one then he can take it upon the tongue of a magician or a sorcerer a fortune teller they then receive that information and when they receive that information well it's going to come فَرُبَّمَا أَدْرَكَهُ الشِّهَابِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُلْقِيَهَا The stars, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the stars and it's mentioned in a narration from one of the salaf that the stars were created for three reasons. One of them is navigation. That you can navigate using the stars. They have their positions in the sky the north star and this star and that star, and you can navigate which direction you're going. Also, they were created for zinat and lissama, as a beautification of the heavens, of the skies. And also they were created as rujuman lishayateen, as uh, missiles against the shayateen. So it mentions here, when they hear that information at the top, They try to pass it on, to pass it on, to pass it on. But sometimes before they manage to pass it on from the top, they get struck with the shooting star. But sometimes they may manage to pass it on before the top is struck by the shooting star. So sometimes, رُبَّمَا أَدْرَكَهُ الشِّهَابِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُلْقِيَهَا وَرُبَّمَا أَلْقَاهَا قَبْلَ أَنْ يُدْرِكَهُ Maybe sometimes they are hit before they manage to pass anything on. But sometimes they manage to pass it on and then they are hit afterwards. So that speech manages to make its way through to the magician on this earth, to the fortune tellers, sorcerers and their likes. So when those magicians and sorcerers and fortune tellers, those types of people receive that information from the shayateen of the jinn, يَكْذِبُ مَعَهَا مِئَةَ That magician, fortune teller, sorcerer, he will now have a piece of information at his disposal, which is truth, haqq. Stolen from the revelation. It is true. That is going to be true. But when he now narrates to the people and does what he does, he will mix that truth he has with a hundred lies. And it doesn't necessarily mean exactly one hundred. This is a phrase in Arabic indicating a lot of lies. In English you do the same thing. I've told you this a hundred times. Did I tell you exactly one hundred times? Might have been 20 times maybe, but it's a phrase to indicate that I've told you a lot. Same in Arabic. You can use the phrase of 100. Sometimes they use the phrase of 70. 70 times this, that, the other. Doesn't necessitate it's exactly 70, but it means a lot. 100 doesn't necessitate it's exactly 100, but it means a lot of lies. So that magician will then mix in a lot of lies with that one truth. And when the people go to him, 
to this fortune teller, to this magician. And the magician starts narrating to them this and that and this and that and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and you need to go do this and you need to go do that. And he tells them all of these things. All of those things that he tells them, none of them materialize. None of them come true except that one thing which was the truth. They say then, أَلَيْسَ قَدْ قَالَ لَنَا then they remember when that one thing occurs, like the magician said it would occur. And they say, didn't he say to us on such and such a day when we went to him, didn't he say to us about this affair? Because they remember that now, that's the one thing which has occurred, like he said it would occur. All the lies they forget. All the lies that he told them, none of it happened, gone. But the only thing they are going to remember now is the thing that occurs. They say, oh, didn't he say to us that day? Remember that day? He said to us such and such, أَلَيْسَ قَدْ قَالَ لَنَا يَوْمَ كَذَا وَكَذَا كَذَا وَكَذَا فَيُصَرَّفُ بِتِلْكَ الْكَلِمَةِ أَلَّتِي سُمِعَتْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ so then it mentions that when he mixes with all of the lies to that truth in order to deceive mankind, to deceive the humans who come to him, and then when that one truth occurs, it becomes a fitna for them. It becomes a fitna for them because he is then believed. Yusaddaq. They start to say that magician, he's truthful. He knows. He said exactly this thing and that's what happened. So they now believe that the magician, the fortune teller, knows what he's talking about and has powers and has abilities. And so this great fitna occurs for them and they now want to go back to him again and sit with him again. This is the great fitna. The mixing of the truth with falsehood. All of that falsehood he told them, do this and do that, and they did all of those things upon the word of the magician, all types of maybe shirk and kufar and all those things. They are now going to get all of those things in their minds justified by the one thing that ended up occurring. This is the great fitna, and that's why when we did kashf ash-shubuhat, the definition of a shubha is something that is similar to the truth, has elements of the truth in it, but then also some elements of falsehood in it. That's what makes it a doubt. That's what makes it problematic. If I tell you, if I show you the color white, and I say to you, this is black. Is there any shubha in that? Is there any doubt in that going to cause confusion to anyone? No one. But if I show you a very dark gray, it's a dark gray, titanium gray, midnight gray, all these fancy names. I show you one of those and I say, this is black. And you're thinking to yourself, it doesn't look a pitch black, but maybe it is black but it's a gray. Now because of the fact that 
It's not pure black, but there's enough of the dark color in there to cause some confusion to you. Is it pure black? Or am I just imagining if I put it something next to something else, is it not going to be black? Now there's a doubt. Because there's an element of truth in what I'm saying. There's a very dark gray which may look like a black. So that's the point here. The Sheikh says mixing truth with falsehood, that's where the disaster is. The scholars, they mention this about the people of innovation. A mubtadi' if he comes to you and says to you, for example, jump up and down 100 times and you get reward for it. There's a hadith. You're going to say, that's nonsense. Because you know that's ridiculous and it's not anywhere in the sunnah. Nobody has ever said that. Nobody has ever narrated that. Nobody's ever heard of that. Ridiculous. Jump up and down 100 times on the spot, you get reward. There's no doubt in that. There's no fitna in that. But when he comes to you and starts narrating to you authentic narrations of dhikr that recite this this many times, and there's a hadith in Bukhari, yes you do, and recite this other dua this many times, or at, uh, at this particular prayer, the, the, the quls, recite those at night, except mentions to you a hadith of dhikr that are authentic. And in amongst those narrations, he slips in a fabricated narration of some dhikr that he's made up, the Sufis, whatever, have made up. So now the person has all this compilation, all of them, Bukhari, Muslim, everything. And then there's one slipped in there which is an absolute fabrication and lie. The scholars, they used to say, this is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah. A mubtadi' isn't going to come to you and say, jump up and down on the spot, you'll get reward. You know that's nonsense. You're not going to listen. The bid'ah wouldn't be dangerous if it was so obvious like that. The bid'ah is dangerous and the mubtadi' is dangerous because they come with elements of truth in there. And some of the scholars, they used to mention, a mubtadi' may be 90% upon the sunnah. I remember hearing examples like this from the Mashaykh in Medina. A mubtadi' a mubtadi' may be 90% upon the sunnah. But that 10% of deviation is so significant that he is now a mubtadi'. A mubtadi' doesn't mean that everything he does is in opposition to the sunnah. That is not how it is. 90% of what they do may be exactly as the hadith say. But that 10% of deviation they fall into is so significant an opposition to the sunnah, an opposition to the revelation that they are now upon bid'ah in their worship, in their uh, uh, beliefs, in their aqidah. It could be that in aqidah, in one particular aspect of aqidah, in names and attributes, in some affair, they have deviated. Whereas the other affairs of aqidah, you examine them and they look pretty good. And it looks like it's a match to Ahl Sunnah, but this one aspect of Aqidah they've deviated upon is sufficient for the scholars to say that they are Mubtadi'ah. So do not think that a Mubtadi'ah is someone who is upon Batil in everything he does. Rather, it may be the opposite. That you look at them and they are upon correctness in almost everything, but the areas where they've made the errors are significant and sufficient for them to be deemed as Mubtadi'ah. And that's what causes the confusion a lot of the time. When people, they say, but look, he's a Muslim. He's a Muslim. He prays like you pray. 
he, he, he went to Hajj with us, he did Hajj the same way you do Hajj. He did everything how you do it. Why is he a Mubtadi' and you're a Sunni? And you're a Salafi and he's not. But it can be down to those affairs. It can be down to something small that you think. But it's a significant affair of deviation. So here the Shaykh says this is the fitna. Mixing the truth with falsehood. And embellishing that truth with all of that falsehood. And that one truth then, because it becomes accurate and valid, it causes the fitna for the people with regards to these magicians and then they want to go back to them. The Shaykh says in conclusion here, الفائدة الأولى فيه أن السنة النبوية تفسر القرآن We've mentioned that before. It's uh, come across before many times that the Sunnah, it clarifies the Qur'an. So this hadith we've just been narrating there, that is a clarification of the ayah. That was the chapter title about the angels and them falling into prostration. This hadith clarifies what that is and why the angels do that. Second benefit... This narration affirmed multiple attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The speech of Allah, the highness of Allah. There were affairs mentioned there in regards to affirming the attributes of Allah. Thirdly, and this is the key here, the reason why this narration is here, التي عقد المصنف رحمه الله هذا الباب من أجلها بطلان التعلق على الملائكة. The, 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 the futility of attaching yourselves to the angels. عكس ما كان عليه أهل الجاهلية من عبادة الملائكة. In contrary opposition to what the people of ignorance, the kuffar, pre-Islamic ignorance, what they were upon in terms of worshipping the angels. And they used to believe that the angels are the daughters of Allah. And Allah is innocent of that and Allah is the most high. فَفِي هَذَا بُطْلَانُ الشِّرْكِ لِأَنَّهُ إِذَا بَطُلَتْ عِبَادَةُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَهُمْ مِنْ وَهُمْ مَنْ هُمْ فِي الْقُوَّةِ وَالْمَكَانَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَالْقُرْبِ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِذَا بَطَلَتْ عِبَادَتُهُمْ وَتَعَلُّقْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَطَلَبُ الْحَوَائِجِ مِنْهُمْ فَلَأَنْ يَبْطُلْ ذَلِكَ فِي حَقِّ غَيْرِهِمْ مِنْ بَابِ أَوْلَى And this is the point. If the worship of angels is nullified, that is uh, impermissible, then certainly the worship of all others besides them, who are nowhere near in the level of strength and power that Allah has created the angels upon, then all of these others are not deserving of the worship either. And fourthly, في الحديث إثبات استراق السمع The affirmation that the eavesdropping and the stealing of the information from the heavens occurs. وَأَنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ قَدْ يَسْتَرِقُونَ السَّمْعِ وَهَذَا كَانَ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ كَثِيرًا In the times of Jahiliyyah, that used to occur a lot. فَلَمَّا بُعِثَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم, And so when the Prophet became a Prophet, after that, the skies, the heavens were protected with the shooting stars. 
And so the eavesdropping and ability to steal revelation, uh, it reduced vastly. It reduced vastly. And there are some narrations in the seerah about how they used to see the shooting stars plentifully at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, I believe at the time of him becoming a Prophet, that they used to see, and it's in the seerah, how they used to see the shooting stars at that time. That the heavens became protected more, and the shooting stars were more, after the Prophet ﷺ became a Prophet. Also from the benefits here, is the nullification of magic and the sorcerers, and we'll get to that in a specific chapter later, about magicians, etc. And also from this is Qabul, the sixth benefit, Qabul nufus lil Be very careful with this word. It is not Qubul. You don't want to be saying Qubul. And you'll know, for those who know, Qabul is the word. It's a mushkila to say Qubul. So Qabul nufus lil that the people... They accept falsehood. Sheikh says here, how can they, when they go to a magician and he tells them hundreds of lies, and all of those lies, none of them come into fruition, and yet one thing comes into fruition, and suddenly now they are connected to him. He knows, he knows, we have to go to him. The Sheikh says, look at how the souls of the people how they become attached and they take falsehood in such a blatant way, all of these hundreds of lies, and yet they don't think that how many lies he told us, but just the one truth, they become attached to that individual. So, And as a consequence, all of the lies that he told them, they, they believe in them now. They believe, no, he's a, he knows, he knows. Everything he says, he knows. Because the one thing came true. So even all of the lies now, they have confidence in them too. They have confidence in all of the lies too. And this is the calamity the Shaykh mentions. And so, At-Tahveer min libs al-haq bil-baatil. This is something important to warn from. Where the truth is being mixed in with falsehood. It's like when the scholars, they say, Karimatu haq urida biha baatil. When you hear someone, they say something, and that statement of theirs, in and of itself, is a factually correct and true statement. It's a factually correct and true statement. But as the scholars, they say, كَلِمَةُ حَقُ أُرِيدَ بِهَا That sometimes a person may say something factually correct, but they are saying it, intending by it some form of falsehood. A person may use some statement of truth for himself and he's actually wanting and desiring some falsehood from it, something incorrect from it. And that's often the scholars, they say, such and such, he has done this or done that or said this or said that. Kalimatu haq. It's true what he said, but urida biha batil. The context he's using it in and the context of where he's putting it in that statement of truth, he is desiring by it some falsehood. So that's something as well that can only be learnt from the scholars. 
Otherwise, you hear a statement of truth from anybody. We were talking about it last time on YouTube and all these different people. They will narrate a hadith. They will narrate ayat. Ahlul Bid'ah will narrate a hadith and ayat. But how are you going to distinguish? That distinguish or distinction comes from the scholars and learning and educating oneself regarding the religion. That is where we're going to conclude today. We'll finish off the second half of the chapter next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. Uh, and then after that, once we finish that chapter, we're going to get on to the chapter regarding intercession, shafa'ah. Intercession, what is permissible, what is not permissible, that will be after that. Any questions, anything to add? It's difficult to uh, give a, a succinct answer to that. But basically, anybody who opposes the principles of the religion, like the easiest example is with names and attributes. When the deviants, they opposed the principles of Ahl Sunnah on the names and attributes, and they deviated away into either rejecting the names and attributes or negating them or misinterpreting them. Those actions of theirs are now going against the principles of the Salaf, of the Prophet ﷺ, how he taught us the names and attributes. So then that would be considered as innovation, bid'ah, having turned away from the pure upright path that the Prophet left us upon. But that's why it's not easy for anybody to just make the labels on specific people and you require the scholars and their input on affairs in regards to Mubtadi'ah, who is an innovator, who is not. And especially when it comes to common folk. The common folk, you don't want to start saying all of these people, he's a Mubtadi, he's a Mubtadi, he's a Mubtadi'ah. Common folk who don't know anything, they've grown up in that mosque, their parents have sent them there since they were kids. Give them da'wah. Some of these people, you give them da'wah, it's the first time they've ever heard of these things. First time they're ever hearing of this Tawheed. They've never ever been taught these affairs in their mosques. So with the common folk, you give them da'wah. But the, the mubtadi'ah, it's going to be uh, the one we're talking about calling to his bid'ah and warning against Ahlul Sunnah. That's a different type of level. So uh, those affairs, it requires a bit of study as well. Anybody else? Which one do you want to say it is? <laughs> I think you want to say one of them. <laughs> so the shaitan, what is it that prevented him from prostrating to uh, the angels when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them to prostrate? There are a few. You don't have to say that it was specifically just that and none of the others. So kibr obviously comes into it. Arrogance and haughtiness. Because he said to Allah, خَلَقْتَنِي min nar wa خَلَقْتَهُ min you created me from fire you created him from mud and clay so he was arrogant he thought he was better also on top of that the scholars have mentioned there was hasad, envy he envied Adam that Allah gave Adam such respect and told the angels to prostrate to him and created him with his own hand he envied Adam so it's not to say that it's only this and none of the others those affairs, they all come into it. Envy and arrogance. That is there. Aba was takbara. That's in the Quran anyway. That he had the haughtiness and the arrogance. Anybody else? Uh, um, 
type of greediness is allowed and what type of greediness is not allowed? Greediness? Greediness, like a person in worldly affairs only desires what he requires to fulfill the rights of his ibadah, of his worship, the rights to his family, to others. If you, requ- if you desire more, then there is a good type of desiring, like the companions when they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, ذَهَبَ أَهْلُ the poor companions came to the Prophet and they said, the rich companions, they are taking all of the reward because they pray, we can pray. They fast, we can fast. But then on top of that, they give in charity and we have nothing to give in charity. So it's as though they were saying, making a complaint to the messenger, the rich companions are taking it all. But then the messenger told them, there are other things you can do. The, the, the dhikr and the, the, the remembrance and different affairs. So it would not be said that they were desiring wealth in a bad way. They were wanting it or they were talking about it in the context of giving for the sake of Allah and getting reward. And that's why it's mentioned about the two types of envy. Envy for someone's knowledge and envy for someone's wealth. So that with the knowledge you can Worship Allah as He does in a better way, etc. And teach in those affairs. And with the money so that you can spend in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person doesn't desire the worldly affairs for personal reasons. If you desire something, if you have a, a sincere intention that if I had money, if I had more money, I'd give more in charity. And you have that sincere intention, that's no problem. That you have a sincere intention wanting more wealth to be able to give in more charity. But the, 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 dis, the dispraisey, dispraiseworthy type is when a person desires worldly affairs for his desires. Not for any uh, worship or fulfillment of the rights. Then you should not be desiring the worldly affairs in that way. We'll have to conclude on that for today then. Inshallah ta'ala we'll carry on next week. Same time, 8 15 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.